Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On November 21st, the 10 winners from our monthly open mic story slams return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. We gathered at the beautiful Capitol Theater in downtown York, and our storytellers took the stage to share their stories with a full house, more than double the audience at our monthly events. Our theme for the evening was Glory Days. We heard stories of childhood holidays, high school experiences like theater performances and prom nights, and teenage misadventures. Eileen Joyce won with her story about living through the glory days of grunge music. Brad just wanted me to have more time to drink, I think, so I'll go first. Um, So I was listening to Sirius XM the other day, you know, like the satellite radio, which I love because you can kind of choose whichever world you want to live in, which was like your most magnificent time of your life. So it means I listen to lithium a lot. Lithium being the best music of the 90s alternative and grunge era, which is 90% of the reason I'm wearing this shirt, I think, I realize. And Rape Me by Nirvana came on, which made me super nostalgic. And that's a really weird song to be nostalgic about. But that's what happens when you listen to 90s grunge and alternative all the time. Kids, ask your parents. Um, so that got me thinking about how I'd managed to like be kind of a young person into music in the height of grunge and how I got to participate in the glory days of grunge, shall we say. So in the uh, fall of 1993, my friend Corey came up to me at high school in the lunchroom and said, uh, Nirvana is playing in Kalamazoo in October and you need to go, well, we all need to go because uh, Kurt Cobain is gonna die. So I went home and I said, Mom, uh, Nirvana's playing in Kalamazoo in October and I need to go because Kurt Cobain is going to die. <laughs> Corey wasn't a psychic or anything, but if you just followed the music magazines at the time, you would know that like he wasn't doing well. There was heroin, there was stomach issues, whatever. But I, hadn't, I still couldn't win my mom over with that. But we had, at the time, living with us a Swedish exchange student named Carl, who was also a super big fan of Nirvana and Pearl Yam, as he called them. <laughs> and so he was like excited. He's like, can we go see Nirvana? And like with the addition of Carl, we were able to get tickets. But I had just turned 16 that summer, and there was no way that my mom was going to let me drive an hour and a half west of where we were living to Kalamazoo to go to a concert. So my mom packed me and Carl into the minivan, and my parents drove us to Kalamazoo, where they dropped us off at Wing Stadium, and we got to go in to see Nirvana and get into mosh pits and get smushed against sweaty leather people and get scowled out by Kurt Cobain, and they went to uh, the Red Lobster next door and had dinner. <laughs> and then they sat in the parking lot for another two hours waiting for us to get out of the show. And, you know, at the time, I didn't think anything. I was like, yeah, of course you do that. That's like, that's what your lame parents do. They wait for you in the parking lot while you go see Nirvana. And then in the spring, the next year, uh, I found out that Pearl Jam was coming to Detroit, or Pearl Yam, as it were. Um, And I was like, that's the show I really wanted to go to, because I was arguably a bigger Pearl Jam fan than a Nirvana fan. But Pearl Jam was in a big fight with Ticketmaster at the time, so you couldn't just stand outside of the record store and wait for tickets the way you did back then. 
Um, <laughs> you had to literally get a form that you cut out of the Detroit Free Press and then mail it in for a chance for an opportunity to get tickets. So my friends Corey and Dana and I drove all around Lansing after school that day to find copies of the Detroit Free Press. And we, like, people were like, oh, we didn't get a paper today. I don't know what happened. But I still remember to this day the look on Corey's face when we stopped outside of like a breakfast and lunch place and they had like one of the paper in the window and then we opened the door and there were like 15 more papers. So we grabbed the whole pile, which I know it was stealing, but I've worked in journalism for 18 years so I feel like karmically I've paid back the Detroit Free Press for this. So you're welcome, Detroit. Um, so Dana and I split up the papers that we got because Dana already had tickets because she was in the fan club. And uh, we filled out the form. And then like two weeks later, they printed the last four digits of your uh, social security number in the Detroit Free Press. <laughs> Honestly true. Now seems weird. Uh, they're like two full page ads with the last four digits of your number in the Detroit Free Press. And Dana and I both had our social security number printed in the Detroit Free Press, yeah! And uh, the catch was you had to buy your tickets that afternoon at the theater in Detroit. So I called my mom on the school payphone at lunch and I was like, um, can you take us to Detroit after school so we can buy tickets to see Pearl Jam? I know she didn't want to do this, like she had plans or whatever. Nobody wants to drive to a sketchy neighborhood in Detroit in the afternoon to, with a bunch of teenage girls to get tickets, but she did it. So she drove us all the way down to Detroit and they'd pre-chosen your tickets for you. So you didn't get to pick where you sat or anything. So I was not in the last row of the balcony, but I was in the second to last row of the balcony, but I didn't care. When we went to the concert finally uh, a month later, um, I got to see Eddie Vedder climbing on things and singing Jeremy in Rearview Mirror, even though he was like this big. And it just gave me, these were like my first live concert experiences. And it gave me a real appreciation for live music since then. And listening to that song on the Sirius radio brought it all back. And it made me appreciate that I got to be a part of the glory days of grunge. It also reminded me that I needed to thank my mom a little bit. Eileen took home the trophy and bragging rights. Next up is Allison Witherow. Allison told the story of how her family's Halloween celebration evolved over time. Hi everyone. So my grandparents, Roy and Thelma Bitzer, lived in a house in Dover in the woods. The house was built by my grandfather and his father with their own four hands. My grandfather was a graphic arts teacher and my grandmother was a librarian turned professional storyteller in her retirement. And so that naturally contributed to the way that we were raised. Our childhoods were full of imagination. My brother and I were the oldest of several cousins, and luckily that meant that we got to really get to know our grandparents before their minds and bodies got the best of them. And so every year in October, uh, they hosted the annual Bitzer Halloween party. Um, and this party consisted of first a bonfire on one side of the property that started with a storytelling, and then a second bonfire on the other end of the property by way of a very scary haunted trail in between. So every year, uh, we gathered around the bonfire on one end. My grandmother, the storyteller, would, would tell spooky tales. Someone in the distance would pop in Scary Sounds Volume 1 on cassette. 
and hit play on the boombox, uh, and so it would begin. So when we were thoroughly spooked, uh, my grandmother gra gathered the group, and we would start to walk through the haunted trail. So first it started off at Spider Alley, a couple spider webs here and there. Uh, then we would pass the haunted graveyard, which was really just where my grandparents would bury every cat and dog that would die. <laughs> but it was very scary. <laughs> and then eventually we would pass Ghost Alley, where my grandmother had taken a couple scraps of bed sheets and hung them in the trees. So as kids, you know, this was pretty terrifying. If we saw it, we believed it. Uh, but eventually we ended up at the second bonfire on the other end of the property, where we calmed our nerves over toasting marshmallows and hot dogs on the open flame, and the rest of the evening was spent with our loved ones, sipping cider, bobbing for apples, and enjoying the best of fall. So this went on for years. Uh, where our grandparents' quiet house in the woods would suddenly turn into this magical, mischievous land full of terror and mischief. Um, and, you know, we were little, and what we saw right in front of our eyes was as true as what our grandparents were presenting to us. But then after a while, you know, my brother and I started to grow a little bit older, and this Halloween party and this haunted trail sort of started to seem a little bit funny. The mummy that would run by us in the woods was wearing the same jeans that I'm pretty sure my Aunt Sally was wearing earlier in the day. And the mummy that jumped out at us looked an awful lot like my Uncle Scott from behind. And so we started to ask questions, and my family knew the ruse was up. But that didn't mean that the fun stopped, not at all. In fact, this was a grand sort of changing of guards. My brother and I were the scared, and now we were the scary. And so we thought, you know, we were almost teenagers at this point, so we thought, well, everything that our parents have done thus far is completely lame, and it was time to make an even scarier, bigger, even harder, badder haunted trail to terrify our younger cousins. So my brother, the Quentin Tarantino of the group, <laughs> orchestrated these elaborate ruses that would just, you know, make our cousins pee their pants. Um, so, you know, we and our friends rigged all these things, um, but you know, there was one thing we didn't change. We still kept that cassette of Scary Sounds, Volume 1, blaring as loud as we could. So it started with story time on the one end of the property. We told the scariest tales we could think of, the ones that were the, the latest ones in middle school that year, um, ones that would make our moms sweat. Uh, and then we designed an elaborate trail, uh, a, a spider kingdom that you literally had to crawl through to get out. We had men with chainsaws that made real-life child abductions from the crowd. <laughs> we, had, we had witches that had escaped from insane asylums with blood all over their face. This was next-level shit, okay? <laughs> and then eventually, you know, we ended at the second bonfire, and all was well again. But, you know, the years went on. Our, long, our younger cousins grew older, as did we. Um, our grandparents eventually grew old and passed. And so that was the end of the annual Bitzer Halloween party. Uh, but I think what, to me, what this reflects is all throughout life, we have these different ruses that sort of play on our naivety. And, you know, as we, as we figure out what's really behind the scenes or we, we think that we know what the trick is all about, we gain the sense of pride that now we know better or we're older and we're wiser. But I think with that pride really comes a longing. And it, be, it comes a longing that, you know, we long for those days where what we see is what we can believe. Um, and the, the vivid color of life is right in front of our eyes and we can take it for what we see. Um, but I think also what we realize is that as adults, sometimes you just gotta pop in those scary sounds volume one and just let go.
Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Matt McDonald, who told us about a spectacular homemade Halloween costume from his childhood. All the heroes of my childhood could fly. There may be an exception, and I only realized this when I was preparing for this story and thinking about it, but Luke Skywalker, Captain Kirk, Han Solo, uh, the Bastion, the kid in the never-ending story, Elliot on his bike, and E.T. flying over the moon. All of these epic moments from my childhood, the characters that I admired and loved were able to fly. The year in question, the time that I'm going to tell this story about, I have very fond memories of recess and spending the entire recess jumping off of picnic tables with my friend Tom Rader. And one moment we'd be Bruce Lee with a flying kick, and the next minute we were Ultraman. Does anybody here know Ultraman? Yeah, if you like the Power Rangers, it's so much cooler. So I had all of these heroes, which made the most difficult thing every child has to do each year so hard. I had to decide who to be for Halloween. And Halloween back then was very different than today. You go to Spirit or the, the party stores, and there's all these fantastic costumes. And back then, all the costumes were made out of this thin plastic, slightly better than saran wrap. And, and the masks were these deformed versions that you couldn't see out of and you sure as hell couldn't breathe inside of. It was a little bit of torture for Halloween. So that year, I was trying to figure out what I was going to be for Halloween when my older brother, Eric, did perhaps the coolest thing he's ever done. He said, I'm going to make you your Halloween costume. Now, he was a nerd, and he was a big nerd. So this was the most epic costume ever. He made me into a robot, and it wasn't a cardboard robot. He started off with sheet metal, which he riveted together. He then installed buttons that pushed and switches that switched and lights that flashed. Had legs and arms that were made out of dryer vent hose. Now his artistic abilities were fantastic. His practical engineering skills, maybe not so much. Because when we tried this on, we found that that dryer vent hose that looks so flexible really doesn't allow the knees to bend much at all. But I still was so excited to go to Halloween. At our school, every year we'd have a huge party and we would have a parade where all of the kids would walk through every classroom in the entire school so that every other student could see your costume. And my mother drove me to school that day. She was the house or the, the class parent for my class that year. So showed up within this big box and he's like, what's your costume? I'm like, I'm not telling you. It's a secret. So I went to the bathroom, and I got changed, and I came out, and everyone was like, wow. It was the coolest costume in my room. I hadn't seen what everybody else had. And the parade started, and I started walking. And it was very realistic, because my legs were very stiff like a real robot. And I got to about the second classroom where I just face-planted and my, my heart just absolutely sunk when I heard some other kid say, the tin man fell down. <laughs> because if my heroes were people who could fly, a tin man falling down was the opposite of a hero. So I got myself up, and I dusted myself off, and I, I walked 
for a couple more classrooms when I fell backwards and landed on my back and I was like a turtle trying to get up. The Tin Man fell down again! I got up again and I'm just, I'm sunk because I'm feeling so unheroic. And I'm walking and I start to stumble when I, I feel an, one hand grab my arm. And then I feel somebody grab my arm on the other side. And I find myself rising up into the air. Because my mother is on one side of me and my teacher's on the other side. And they have decided to lift me up and carry me throughout the rest of this parade. Which I'm, of course, horribly embarrassed until I hear another kid, I'm assuming he had the same voice, say, it's a flying robot. And that was a moment of glory because there may have been other good costumes there that year, but there was nobody who could top a fucking flying robot. <laughs> We've announced the themes for our 2018 season on our website, YorkStorySlam.com. Tickets for our events are available there, too. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.